0: The hard left, the hard left, the
1: hard left, hard the left, hard, left, hard left, the hard left. Hey everyone, it's Jack here. We don't usually do this kind of thing, but we've got something quite special today. Basically, our, our friend Jordan Hartley from Com Radio has got in touch with us to say that he managed to snag an interview with Darren Proctor, the national secretary of the RMT union, regarding the PO layoffs, which are obviously a big deal at the moment. Obviously, solidarity with the workers who've been cruelly laid off by those bastards. I hope we're not jeopardising their cause by calling the bosses bastards, but I don't think that those workers can be held accountable for what is said on RealPolitik. Anyway, Jordan has kindly said that he's not at all proprietary about this interview. He wants basically as many outlets as possible to get it out there. So we were quite happy... To put this on the real politic feed because obviously, solidarity with the workers. Yeah, I think this is the first time that we've outsourced an interview to somebody outside of the show, although obviously this wasn't our own active initiative since uh, we tricked Mike Gapes into appearing on the show. So, Jordan Hartley right now is going to interview Darren Proctor of the RMT. Enjoy. So I'm here with the National Secretary of the R T, Darren Proctor, and I just want
2: to give us a quick rundown of what's happened.
0: Okay, so last Thursday I received a call from one of our members here in Dover that there was a communication put on board the vessel. so the seafarers were currently working at that vessel, that the vessels would be going into port. They wouldn't be coming out of port, and that there would be announcements about the viability of P&O later that day. This came without any communication previously. We'd had no consultation on any kind of impact on the business. And then later that day, we made aware that there'd be an, an announcement later that day. We then mobilised our, myself and other regional organisers to go to the, the various ports. And as we were doing that, we were then hearing stories of buses and minibuses turning up in the various ports with seafarers in boiler suits and security guards with handcuffs, ballyclavas, etc., etc. et cetera, et cetera. So the signs from from about nine o'clock in the morning were all that this wasn't going to be a very good day for members of RMT, members of Northless International, who organised the the seafarers on board those vessels. And then at 11.15, the announcement came made via Microsoft Teams that it was the company's intention to sack everybody on the spot and had the cheek to call it redundancy. So that's what happened. And then obviously the events of the past few days have evolved from there.
2: So, the people on the ships were at that point I had no idea what was coming. People on board the ships had no
0: idea what was going on. It was yeah. obviously a notification. And then, people off the ships, obviously, the word started getting around that something was going to happen. And the announcement was made. And, you know, people who were shoreside had other team think I was in this office. And all the crew
2: were actually in here and actually watched the announcement on that television there. So some people upon hearing the news of these events have taken to gleefully chiding the RMT for advising members in 2016 to vote leave, rather than expressing any solidarity for the 800 hardworking people who just lost their jobs. So what change in the law, if any, has there been since leaving the EU that made the current situation possible or more likely? This isn't uh, not about Brexit or the
0: implications of it. If you look at Irish ferries and what they've done previously in the two thousands, as it was exactly the same. And you look at the crew and models on some of the other vessels around the UK coast and the employment conditions on on board them. They've been allowed to do it because of a political negligence, an inability, and a desire by politicians to address the shipping sector. But on the same tone, they'll go round and say that we're a maritime nation and we're flourishing in the maritime sector and come up with all kind of nice strategy names, Maritime 2050 or the shipbuilding strategy and tell us that we're plowing millions and millions of pounds into the various areas of the maritime sector when the reality of it is who would want to work in a sector when 800 individuals can be sacked in the way that they was.
2: Yeah. So over the years, the RMT's negotiated good deals and good contracts for its members. Allowed them to live pretty decent lives. So, with the loss of so many jobs, what is this going to mean for the local economies that these workers have been supporting for their whole careers? Absolutely.
0: It's gonna be massive devastation, particularly to Dover, where obviously the mass membership is and that's where the most vessels operate of, of just being out in the high street handing out leaflets, seeking local support and engaging with them, and everybody's absolutely devastated. It goes much further than the seafarers on board, whether it be the local bar, the hairdressers, the local bakery, etc., all the seafarers and their families go in and spend the money in them locations. Now that, you know, some of them are the main breadwinner. In other circumstances, there's individuals who have been sacked. Who then there's two, two breadwinners from P&O, so there's no breadwinner in the house at this moment in time. So, you know, the impact and the devastation that this is going to have on the part of Dover, and as I said, just being in the town, and some of the local residents were already telling me that, you know, Dover's on the way out and this is actually just going
2: to finish Dover off. So... If this is allowed to go on and it goes ahead, do you think we're likely to see more mass fire and rehire tactics deployed in other ferry companies?
0: Well, I think in, in in ferry companies, I think the maritime sector, uh, and I also think generally within you know employment across the UK. Because if an employer with a brand and a name like P and O can do this, then other companies will be looking to do similar. We've seen obviously the fire and rehire, British Gas, British Gas. You know, there's bus companies that, you know where they've tried to do it, BA, etc., cetera, etc. I think it's going to be more commonplace, and I think this is one thing that's woken up the senses of the UK public and the. State. Junior movement that, you know, no matter how long you've worked for your employer, no matter how loyal you've been to them, that they can effectively just tear up
2: your uh, uh, and do what p and have just done. So we talked a little bit about the, the downstream consequences to local economies and to other ferry companies in the wider job market. But what are some of the implications for customers of p you know, customer service or even safety?
0: Well, I mean, we've raised safety concerns prior to this happening. There was a survey done in uh, 2012 around fatigue or P&O, and it was an independent survey done by Cardiff University, where at that time the company wanted to bring in a rotor of two weeks on, two weeks off, and the crew wanted to retain the week on, week off. It was a very intense route, it still is a very intense route, and they didn't believe that it would contribute to a, a more... Or improve a healthy lifestyle, so they brought in uh, the the individual to do the survey, and they were proven right that individuals felt more angry when they were working seven days a week, twelve-hour shift, very intense route, continually on the go for twelve hours, dealing with the public, etc. And the company then said, "Okay, we're not going to take that any further." They didn't address the roster patterns on the other routes. But now they want to bring in the worst shift pattern possible in eight weeks on for the ferry work and 12 hours a day, seven days a week language barriers, not knowing the vessel as intimately as our members have done, and that can only come through experience and time spent on board a vessel, not being fully aware of the safety procedures on board, and not knowing the intimacy of a, a vessel in a an emergency situation, whether that be you know, taking on water, whether that be a fire, whether that be a, a man overboard, all the things that our seafarers are trained to do it, and they've you know they developed that training, that understanding, and that ability to be able to react react to an emergency situation at the drop of a hat. That is now gone. You've got individuals who we believe you know have been reported back to us don't know how to put breathing apparatus on in, in terms of a fire don't know the locations of various other issues on board the vessel and the locality of very important stuff. And we believe that this is going to result in a maritime disaster because of the state that it goes on. That may well be a harsh word for me, but that is something that I believe, and this is why we're asking the government to detain the vessels on the basis of health and safety until we can sort this situation out. So do you think there's any
2: prospect of change to the law through the parliamentary process on
0: this? At this moment in time, we've got no faith. All we're hearing is political pity. We don't want political pity. We don't want political negligence. We want political action. And they can bring in emergency legislation now to deal with this. But they could also utilise powers that they've got under the state and go and detain the vessels using the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency.
2: So, and uh, have the Labour Party been helpful or all?
0: Yeah, the Labour Party uh, 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 have been very helpful. They've submitted a a number of questions for us we've been in dialogue with them. we met with them in Parliament the other day. And, uh, you know, they've put across a number of constructive arguments to contribute to what has gone on at this moment in time. Unfortunately, as can be expected, the Tory politicians, like I've just said, it's all political pity. Apologies, P&O have done wrong. DP World have done wrong. But, you know, when they talk about the infrastructure, they talk about the, the movement of goods from port A to port B. But there's no outpouring of love on what they're going to do for the seafarers that have continued to keep the economy going for, for long periods of time, both through the pandemic, before the pandemic, and also not forgetting that some of our members at P&O were on the knoll, and that went down
2: to the fourth. So you mentioned Tory politicians. Let's talk about Dover. Uh, Natalie Elphick made an appearance at the, the first uh, rally on Friday, the uh, day after the, the layoffs happened. And what was the reception like and, and what motivated that reception?
0: Well, we were actually in this room as we're speaking now. We had a, a, a meeting with uh, Keir Starmer, Kyle Turner, Emma Hardy and a number of other MPs in relation to what was going on. And the Labour Party wanted to get an understanding of, of, of the situation. A lot of the crew were in here. And towards the end, Natalie came in. She was obviously being heckled from outside in relation to her position around fire and rehire. She's obviously stated that she was here to support the workers and to support the locals. But as we've seen when we were in Parliament the other day, we didn't necessarily see that support shining through. And when she got up to speak, she made it about extreme leftists or militants and to the left. And we can't go back to the trade unionism of the 70s and 80s. Well, unfortunately, PO have taken industrial relations back to that period. We as a union, as a trade union movement, need to do everything we can to support the p workers, get them back into the workplace, but also prevent this from happening going forward. And that's why we're seeing so much connectivity between the trade unions, both you know in this country, but also globally, we're
2: disgusted by the actions of P&O. So how's the, the mainstream media coverage of this been? Like, Has it been difficult finding any receptive press? And how's it been navigating the stuff you can't talk about?
0: No, I think from uh, the mainstream press, everyone is shocked, angered, disappointed by the way that this has played out. The, the developments of a, a household name like P&O can do what they've just done. Um outlets that we have probably never support what RMT would say previously have come forward and supported us and, and want to cover this situation because the reality of it is this is in the public eye. The public are angered and dismayed by what's going on. Um, and When we were down here for a couple of days, we had 50, 60 cameras. We were down in Parliament Square the other day, and it doesn't look like letting up, and we're certainly not going to let it up. We're going to be taken to the streets and doing whatever needs to be done. We've had a protest at 7 o'clock this morning I mean, it was supported by around 120, 150 individuals in Liverpool. Uh, we currently making our way to Cairn Ryan in Scotland to, to have a protest. We've got a, a protest at one o'clock in Hull, a protest here. And then we'll be on the streets again on Saturday. And we're calling on the ITF for global support also. So the press coverage has been good. Okay. However, like I've said before, we're not half we're not after pity. The spotlight is firmly on the politicians now, the ministers, who can bring about change, who can put our seafarers back on board them vessels, and who can secure the future employment rights of
2: of everybody in the UK. So we had a, I put out a tweet asking for some questions from the broader public. I think the most common question I got when I've been talking about this is, what is the best thing that we can do, the public, to support the RMT and, and Nautilus efforts?
0: I think the biggest thing that the public can do is support. A huge shout-out if individuals can get round to the port where P&O are operating. We've got demonstrations taking place. Um, as I've just said, we'll be in Larn on Friday. We'll be in Hull on Saturday. We'll be in Liverpool on Saturday and we'll be in Dover on Saturday. So any support that you can give us to come down to them demonstrations, I think changing social media logos to, to boycott P&O, and encouraging family, friends, any influence that you've got on other, you know, other members not to go with P&O, because the only way to damage this company is for them to realise that they've made a huge mistake financially and that their actions, what they've chosen to do, they'll have to live with the consequences. So as much support as possible, get in contact with the you know the local RMT. I'm sure you'll find uh, information on Facebook, Twitter, contact the RMT, regional officers, head officers, etc. We need numbers, we need to write to your
2: MPs, anything that you can do to support would be much appreciated. To narrow that down a little bit, Charlotte in London, a Unite rep, has asked, what do these workers need from the rest of the union movement?
0: I think support. What we need to be doing is we need to be hitting the streets and saying that this is outrageous, Okay, We need to make sure that we can put as much pressure on those that have got influence on the front bench in government, obviously MPs and, you know, write to the MPs in the various regions wherever they live and, and and get support that way. Also to raise it in the workplace because this should become a real workplace concern. This is not about P&O. And just because it's a vessel that sails between one country and another in some circumstances, it doesn't mean that it can not happen to you. And I think the biggest thing that, you know, a trade union rep could do at this moment in time is obviously support RMT, but make sure that every single individual... Is in the workplace in a trade union, and this is the reason that we need trade unions joining together and be
2: supportive in the
0: workplace.
2: Uh, the last question is uh, from Gary. He's a member of the, the Lefty Media Collective, Alternative Left Entertainment, and he's asking about the legal status of what's been carried out. So does what PO has done fall within the law? There's been a lot of speculation about things like maritime law, And where companies are based, and is that allowing them to skirt UK law?
0: Yeah, so I mean, this is an issue that we're still exploring. It's very complex in the maritime. You're not just dealing with UK. There's been a lot of chatter. That contract was signed in Jersey. They didn't fly them out to sign in Jersey at all. They signed them on board the vessels. The company's based in Jersey. And these are the complexities and the loopholes that need to be closed down. You know, maybe we need to look at every vessel operating from a UK port in the ferry sector uh, as part of the freight market and passenger market should be a UK registered vessel. So there's other kinds of uh, implications, but we are exploring that. But, you know, it's a shame as an island nation that this is not already strengthened and we're having this conversation in 2022. Great. Well, it's nice talking to you and we'll get the word out to as many people as we can shoot Batman. don't forget boycott p
1: you